Well, do keep your Bibles open at, at Psalm 1, and we are be, going to be looking today at two ways to live, two ways to live. Back in 2008, the Telegraph newspaper reported the story of a Syrian lorry driver who was transporting luxury cars from Turkey to Gibraltar. He typed Gibraltar into his sat-nav and pressed go and set off on his journey. After a few days of traveling, he found himself 70 miles east of Nottingham at Skegness. You see, his sat-nav had directed him to a place called Gibraltar Point, which is a nature reserve next to Skegness, which is 1,600 miles from the Gibraltar he was after in Spain. And that's where he was delivering his luxury cars. I can't imagine there's too many luxury car showrooms in Skegness, but I could be wrong. Had he looked carefully enough at his sat-nav, he would have seen that it did ask which Gibraltar he meant. And indeed, if you type into your sat-nav later, you will see that those two options exist. I did it last night, actually. But do so at the end of my sermon, not during it. Well, in a way, Psalm 1 is like a sat-nav for our lives, pointing us on the right road so that as we travel, we can travel safely and wisely through life. Because the road that you travel on, your journey, determines where you're going to end up at the end of it. And God doesn't want us to end up in the wrong place. The psalm speaks of two people facing two different destinations, which is all dependent on their attitude towards God. The psalm begins by speaking about the blessed person. The word blessed used here is an interesting word because no one fully knows how best to translate it from the original into English. Some have ventured that it means happy, but that word can sometimes fool us because for most people, their happiness is dependent entirely upon circumstances being favorable to them like the person who perhaps just won millions on the lottery, and they're probably singing that song from Oklahoma, oh, what a beautiful morning, oh, what a beautiful day. I've got that beautiful feeling, everything's going my way. But it's only because of the circumstances that have gone their way that they feel blessed. But life doesn't always go away. And so the happiness mentioned here is dependent upon uh, it, it, and so, the happiness that's actually mentioned here is not dependent upon things just going well for you. No, it's got a fuller we meaning. The word blessed could be translated as being the life that God approves of, the life that God approves, where a person is certain that they are living a life that is honoring to God regardless of the circumstances that they face. One could even say it's a contented life, contented in God. Do you remember what Jesus said when he delivered the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5? He said this, blessed are you 
when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Blessed, it's the same word blessed that's used here. You see, this life might actually be unfair to you, but the next won't. For the Christian, all of the suffering in the world comes with an expiry date on it, as Alice Woodbridge once put it. And perhaps that's why the Apostle Paul, when he was in prison for his faith, was able to sing and rejoice in prison, even though circumstances were actually against him. You see, time and time again in Scripture, Scripture shows us that being blessed is not dependent upon good things happening to us. Our blessing and our contentment comes from living a life that God approves of, despite our circumstances. Our psalmist is saying, if you're going to live this good life, you need to know where this good life is not found as much as where it is found. Otherwise, it's going to constantly elude you. So, look down at verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. So, this is telling you how not to live a man took a book out of the library which had a very intriguing title on the spine. It said, How to Hug. But he was somewhat disappointed when he got it home because it turned out to be just volume seven of the Encyclopedia Britannica. How to Hug. How-to books are all the rage. And in some ways, that's how Psalm 1 starts. But it's interesting that he starts off by saying what not to do. I mean, could you imagine buying a brand new hairdryer and the operating instructions began with these words, blessed will you be with your hairdryer if you do not use it underwater in the bath in order to create bubbles. <laughs> Happy and blessed will that person be? Well, no doubt. Of course, who would be daft enough to stick their hairdryer in the bathtub, in such a foolish way. And that's precisely the reaction the psalmist is wanting you to have here. The psalmist highlights three things the blessed person doesn't do. First of all, he doesn't walk in step with the wicked. The wicked refers to those who are opposed to God's values and lordship. They see him as an irrelevance. They don't honor Him, and they live life without any reference to Him. He says, your life of blessing starts by not seeking out the wrong company, bad influences, and those who would lead you astray and damage your faith. Don't begin a journey down their road. Now, obviously, we can't stop ourselves from working or studying with those who don't hold to our views. That would be ridiculous. But we can stop ourselves from actively seeking and participating in the ungodly practices of those who don't honor the Lord. 
He also says he doesn't stand in the way of sinners. You see, eventually after a time, your associating with them continually leads you to standing alongside them. That refers to lingering with those whose lives are dominated and shaped by their wrong inclinations. And then thirdly, he doesn't sit in the seat of mockers. And this refers now to someone who associates with and has thrown their lot in with the mockers, those who scorn God's values and opinions and way of viewing the world. Do you see that downward spiraling progression? The gradual descent into evil, whereby first the person is walking alongside the wrong type of people. Perhaps they impress you and they seem attractive to you, even though their talk is godless. But in this final stage that we see of them sitting, you're now unashamed of being seen sitting with mockers, those who scorn God, scoff at His values and His people. Sitting denotes taking up a permanent position alongside them, being totally unfazed by them, because you now belong with them. Their views become your views. Their standards become your standards. What they laugh at, you now laugh at. What they are for, you are now for. What they are against, you are now against. And so here is that downward spiral of the person who has acclimatized themselves to the world's values and ways of thinking, dismissing and being cynical about God, holding distorted views and opposing views to God on morality, on marriage, on sexuality, and a whole host of other things. Tell me, is there someone here who is beginning that journey? Being enticed to draw alongside people who would do your faith great harm. Is God challenging someone here this morning about who it is that they're walking with, standing with, sitting with. Sometimes the walk is done on your computer with your eyes going into dark places where God would never want you to go for it would harm you and prevent you from being fruitful and faithful to Him. Other times it's choosing to take your counsel on moral and spiritual things from those who are actually opposed to God. Well, the psalmist makes it quite clear that we will not find our happiness or that blessed life with those people. And so he turns now to the better way of life. Look down at verse 2. So how to have the fruitful life. Blessed is the one who, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Now, the word law used here doesn't always mean rules, but it means instruction, guidance, the wisdom of the counsel of God. But most of all, in reading Scriptures, it reveals God to us. It reveals His heart, 
his will, his mind, his purposes. And it's to build and strengthen the very fabric of your life. You see, the way to resist, resist the anti-God pool of the world is to delight in God's Word and to meditate on it. Now, in the Bible, meditation is not a question of emptying your mind and thinking about nothing, as some Eastern religions teach, but rather it's about filling your mind with something, contemplating it, chewing it over, inwardly digesting it, weighing up its meaning and its implication for your life. That's what the Bible means by meditation. You might wonder, how is that possible to think about God's Word day and night? Well, I think it's not so much a question of reading it 24-7, but rather pondering in our hearts and minds that which we have read, perhaps at the beginning of the day or at the close of the day, chewing it over, mulling it over, letting it settle in our thoughts and our hearts, allowing its wisdom to be applied to our lives and to our situations that we face. One of the Psalms put it this way, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Elsewhere, the psalmist said, your word, O Lord, is like a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Friends, Bible reading is not always easy or natural for some of us. It can sometimes be the first thing that we can skip on a busy day. And I, as much as any one of you, have been guilty of that at times. But I have to say, I never feel as though I'm launching into my day well until I have engaged with God's Word. For me, using a guide like I happen to be using at the moment, Every Day with Jesus by Selwyn Hughes, this is a year's worth there, just a short devotion and a little unpacking of what that passage is. And it gives me a verse just to take away for the day, or a passage to take away for the day to think and consider. And I find that really helpful. And I often find that the passage that I've just read that day has been useful in guiding me, instructing me, or aiding me in my decision-making and how I engage with others, or with my attitudes that need to change towards others. The Gideon's International uh, website says this about the benefits of the Word of God. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe. And practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. <clears throat> it is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. For in this book, I come face to face with God, my heavenly Father. Through His life-giving Word, I find the challenge I need when I'm stubborn, the encouragement I need in my dark times, the hope and the inspiration to live for Him when life feels so uncertain. In God's Word, I see life from His perspective, not just mine. And as a result, I evaluate things differently. I find strength for the journey 
I find light for my path. And I'd encourage you to, to memorize some uh, passages from Scripture. Memorize a Bible verse. It's amazing how uh, uh, locking God's Word or tucking it away into our mind and our heart can be of great help. Many of you will still remember Gwyn Davies, who was a faithful member of our church, who sadly died just last year. He was greatly loved and is greatly missed by us. He had such godly wisdom, didn't he? Such godly joy. He told me that as a young person growing up in church in Wales, he was encouraged to memorize six of the Psalms off by heart. Psalms that would bring them help and hope and wisdom at different points in their life. And I remember him telling me that Psalm 1 was one of the first ones he, he, he memorized. The others were Psalm 23, Psalm 46, the 100th Psalm, and Psalm 121. I'm afraid I can't remember the sixth one. I'll ask him in heaven. But he told me that he had often had reason to call upon those Psalms that were embedded in his heart and memory. And he said he found it as being good medicine for his soul for when life was hard and when we need to see life from God's perspective. Indeed, the Psalms have been described as God's medicine cabinet for the soul. Friends, if you're weary, if you're uncertain about life, if you're struggling, if you're anxious, if you're depressed, as Christians can be, live in the Psalms. When you're going through those tough times, live in the Psalms. Let that be your address for the moment of your dark days. The clouds will break. The sun will shine. God will come through. And so I'd like to issue you with a challenge. Memorize a verse of Scripture. Maybe memorize verse 1 of Psalm 1 or verse 2 as well so that you can begin to meditate on it day and night and, and see where that leads you in terms of your conversations that you have with people with who you're going to associate with online and social media, etc., as well as in life. Because when we memorize a passage like this, you are seeing your life choices through God's eyes. Tim Keller said this, to know how to meditate on and delight in the Bible is the secret to a relationship with God and to life itself. Views contrary to God's Word are no anchor in times of need. God's Word gives us the resilience of a tree with a source of living water that will never dry up. You see, the results of living like the righteous man are found in this beautiful picture of a tree planted by streams of water with strong roots for stability. It's an image of health and sturdiness. Year after year, it's going to produce fruit in season. 
whatever the season. The leaves don't wither on this tree because the tree is always full of the sap of life. And that's what Jesus once told us to do. He says, apart from me, you can do no good thing. Abide with me. You see, those who are embedded in the Lord can not only survive, they can actually thrive. And so, whatever this man does is going to prosper. Now, this doesn't mean that everything that he does in his life is a success, but rather their life is fruitful in God's service and a delight to him personally. It's a life that is beneficial to others and blesses them too. Yes, this person is like the tree that has deep roots, so they're not swayed by their culture or buckled by changes in society or the world around them. They remain stable, dependable, resilient, and they are fruitful in all seasons of life precisely because they're rooted in God, even in the trials that life can bring to us. And thirdly, how costly it is not to live the blessed life. Look down at verse 4. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that is blown, that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The psalmist tells us here, the final outcome, the final destination of the ungodly and the wicked and he describes them and their life as being like, just like chaff. Chaff is the outer shell of the grain. And here is a picture of a farmer threshing the grain, tossing it into the air so the wind blows away the worthless chaff and the valuable seed drops down and is kept. Well, the wicked's existence, if it continues to be lived without God, will be found to be at the end of life as empty as the chaff a shell with no substance or benefits to others. The godless who continue in their godless way to the end of their life will be judged and sifted by God. Yes, they may well have had positions of prominence and power. They may well have been wealthy or successful. They may even have been entertaining. But if their lives have been continually lived without reference to God, They'll be like chaff. Whatever clever arguments they used to resist belief in God or to ridicule His people will one day be silenced when they stand face to face with the God that they have mocked and denied all their life. No, the wicked will not be able to stand on the judgment day, but the righteous will. And so there are two ways to live and two outcomes that as we end on verse 6, he says, The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, of those who have turned to him in faith. They will enter his eternal glory. However hard life might have been for God's people on earth, they will yet receive an eternal reward that outshines every pain or hardship of earth. But tell me, is there someone here this morning? And if the truth be known, you yourself are not God's possession. 
You've not yet received God's Son, the Lord Jesus, into your life. And yet to receive the forgiveness and the new life that He actually wants to give you so that you could be counted amongst the righteous in this psalm and begin this fruitful life. Oh, my friend, I, turn, I urge you to turn to Christ Jesus. The reason being is that this psalm points to Him. You see, Jesus ultimately lived out this psalm. Only He has lived the truly righteous life. He was the only ever per person who ever kept God's laws and ways and blessed His heavenly Father. And the reason why Jesus came was to rescue us from God's holy judgment against our great and our many sins. People disregarded the Son of God back then, tossing Him away like chaff, thinking He was worthless as they cried out, crucify Him, crucify Him. But on the cross, as Jesus took upon Himself the sins of the world, He felt the full force and fury of God's holy judgment against our sin. God's judgment fell on Jesus so that it would never fall on us if we put our trust in Him. And so I would urge you, whoever you are, repent of your sin. Trust in this Christ so that you won't be swept away, but you would be kept for glory. Jesus alone lived the blessed life. He lived it out so that you, by coming to Him, could follow Him, listen to Him, and re receive every blessing from being united with Him. So tell me, what direction is your life heading in? It will very much depend on what the delight of your life is. Now, I need to just pause for a moment as I'm going to close because I, I sent over a video and I don't know if it's going to... It, well, I've got the thumbs up. Um, I want to show you a video that, of three girls that play softball uh, uh, at a very high level. And it shows you where they put their trust in despite their particular sport uh, that they're involved in. So turn to the screen and see if you can see some of these truths. You talk about keeping the joy of the game, but I'm curious, it's a long season, right? And you guys have had the target on your back the entire time, the win streak being number one. How do you handle the unique pressure that comes with that? How do you keep the joy for so long when anxiety seems like a thing that could very easily set in? Well, the only way that you can have a joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord. And any other type of joy is actually happiness that comes from circumstances and outcomes. Um, I think Coach has said this before, but joy from the Lord is really the only thing that can keep you motivated, um, uh, just in a good mindset, uh, no matter the outcomes. Thankfully, we've had a lot of success this year, but if it was the other way around, uh, joy from the Lord is the only thing that can keep you embracing those memories, moments, friendships, and all of that. So... Uh, I would, that's really the only the only answer to that because there's no other way that softball can bring you that um, because of how much failure comes in it and just how much of a roller coaster the game can be. One thousand percent agree with Grace Lyons. Um, 
I went through that my freshman year. I I was so happy to win the college. I've talked about this before, but I was just so happy that we won the College World Series, but I didn't feel joy. I didn't have, I didn't know what to do the next day. I didn't know what to do for that following week. I didn't feel filled, and I had to find Christ in that, and I think that is what makes our team so strong is that we're not afraid to lose because if it's not the end of the world if we do lose. Yes, obviously, we worked our butts off to be here, and we want to win, but it's not the end of the world because our life is in Christ, and that's all that matters. Yeah, um, I think a huge thing that we've really just latched onto is eyes up, and you guys see us doing this and pointing up, but we're really, like, fixing our eyes on Christ, and that's something where, like they were saying, you can't find a fulfillment in an outcome, whether it's good or bad, and um, I think that's why we're so steady in what we do and, and our love for each other and our love for the game because we know this game is giving us the opportunity to glorify God. Mm -hmm. And um, I just think once we figured that out and that was our purpose and everyone was all in with that, um, it's really changed so much for us. And, I mean, I know myself, I, I've seen so much of a growth in myself with um, once I turned to Jesus and I realized how he had changed my outlook on life, not just softball, but understanding how much I have to live for, and that's living to exemplify the kingdom. And I think that brings so much freedom. And I'm sure everyone's story is similar, but we all have those great testimonies that have really like shown how awesome it is to play for something bigger. Um, and I think that's just what brings me so much joy. And no matter the outcome, whether we get a trophy in the end or not, we're, this isn't our home. And I think that's what's amazing about it is we have so much more we have an eternity of joy with our Father, and I'm so excited about that. And yes, I live in the moment, but I know this isn't my home, and um, no matter what, my sisters in Christ will be there with me in the end um, when we're with our, our King. So. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the testimony of those girls. An inspiration. Of knowing what it means to walk with Jesus. In whatever occupation we've been given. And knowing the out outcome is always good at the end. O oh Lord, minister by this word into the hearts of each one of us, we pray, that where we have wandered, you would pull us back onto the path to walk faithfully with Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen.